Welcome to this week's Not Another Fashion Podcast with Sasha and Dale. Welcome back everyone to our podcast with Sasha and Daryl. So Sasha, what are we going to talk about this week? So today, uh, should we talk about manufacturing? Oh yes, please. <laughs> so let's kick off with the kind of common question that I often get from people. I'm sure you do as well, which is, how do you go about looking for a manufacturer? What's your top tip, Sasha? The first thing I'd like to say is it's not that easy and it's not a case of oh, let me just Google it and happen to try and find someone. Obviously, yes, you can use online, but I would say take your time and really think about what you want from a manufacturer. There's some really important points to consider, such as minimum order quantities. Always have in your mind what, what kind of orders you want to place, because a lot of manufacturers, the minimums could be up to a thousand units. So you want to be really clear on that. Also, what fabrication, where do you want to produce from? Another tip I'd say is don't be very sort of rigid on where you want to manufacture from. Obviously, if it's part of your strategy that you want to have it made in Britain, then obviously it's going to be part of your strategy. But don't be sort of closed off to looking at different countries. Trade shows are great for actually speaking to people. Also networking, finding out who peers or other people in the industry are making from. You can also use agents as well particularly when you're starting off and there's quite a few different avenues to go down. There are lots and lots of tips there. <laughs> there's so many and I'm sure you've got some too, but perhaps we can sort of start top line and then we can I can sort of go into a bit more detail. Yeah, I mean, if you're UK based, there are events like Make It British, there's those sorts of things to go to. When you are Googling for potential manufacturers, I know from speaking to a few people, cold calling them is not always the best thing. So send an email to them, tell them what you have, but also don't just go to them with, oh, I want to become a brand. Can you help me? You kind of need to go to that manufacturer with at least a tech pack or some designs or passions because they don't even know how to start to help you if they don't know what they're working with. And there's or you weren't clear about your measurements and that, that kind of thing. So it's it's almost thinking about before you even approach a manufacturer, know what it is you're looking for, as you say. So making sure you have an understanding of, well, what am I actually making? How am I going to make it? How open you are to fabrication? So you may be thinking to yourself, I want everything pure silk, but actually maybe, maybe a tensile fabric or something that, especially if you want to avoid plastics and polyester, well, then look at the other, I mean, there is any such thing as a, a properly sustainable fabric, but there are those lyocils, those sort of, tree bark fabrics even some very good quality cottons can have a good flow to them but a manufacturer will be able to help you then with fabrication say well actually with a bias cut dress you want to avoid this you may have to go for that and so be very clear I think on what it is you're actually making before you even approach manufacturer and as you say go to trade shows network do that kind of thing but then also when you do approach manufacturer don't just talk to the first one you meet speak to two or three of them get a few quotes shop around and when you do get the th- you do have a chat with them ask them for any sort of b sort certification if they have any sort of audit uh, paperwork that kind of thing as well yeah i mean in industry i would always cross cost so there is absolutely no way would i ever just go oh they're a brilliant 
estate manufacturer, I'm just going to go with them, particularly for a new category. So if you are a new business and you don't have any information on your costs, it's really important that you do do some cross-costing and sort of make it like for like. If you've uh, got your collection ready, pick out a couple of your styles that you think, okay, these I'm going to get these cross-costed. So make sure you're giving your suppliers exactly the same dress, for example, same weight fabric, same specs, so that you get in an exact like for like in terms of your cost. So you can then say, okay, well, why is that manufacturer charging me double compared to that? And that's where sort of your open costings come into play. I always used to say to my assistants, and even now when I'm consulting, knowledge is power. Make sure you keep information. I Even if the supplier's kind of been a bit keeping some information from me, I'd sort of get around it and go, which trim's more expensive? Which fabric's more expensive? And note it to myself. But it's so important to get a good idea and a breakdown of your costs from the trims to the fabrics to the CMT costs. Just because once you have that, and if you continue with that dress, even if you change some of the styling, you can say next season, well, how comes I only paid this last year for labour? I know labour costs have gone up, but they haven't doubled. You've got a point of negotiation. And likewise, if you're cross-costing, you've also got a point of negotiation as well, if you have that information there. So the best way of often getting it is to cross-cost and for light product between manufacturers. And I would, as a rule of thumb, I used to try and do three if I could, but definitely at least two. Yeah, for sure. And I would add as well is sometimes with some manufacturers, they may give you the option of buying your own fabric separately and yeah. delivering that. So also way the cost of you sourcing the material and shipping it to them. So you may find with some people, they you may want to use British tweed and you, for the life of you, cannot get some of the UK to make a, a, a certain type of jacket. But you may find that there's a Eastern European manufacturer, a Spanish or Portuguese or an Italian manufacturer who will do it for you at a decent price, but you want to use a British fabric. Well, then you would then have to talk to them about supplying yeah. that fabric and with things like VAT rates, EU versus non-EU. That's something just to bear that in mind with your costs as well. And even if you were then to look at India or China, be very mindful that lead time to get those goods back can be quite long. If there's any mistakes with that sampling or with the production run, it's going to be very timely to make mends on that. So while a good manufacturer, if they've genuinely made a mistake, will make good on it. If the mistake is down to you not being clear on your measurements, dimensions are wrong, they will have a strong case to say, sorry, you gave us wrong information. Sorry, mm. we pay for it the other thing i came across years ago when i started working with a brand is i didn't realize that for some manufacturers they'll do if there's enough material left they'll just keep making more garments from that material so often you think you've ordered 20 items but that could actually come back as 30 or 40 items and then for another item you can end up with only 10 items because there wasn't enough material for that run and so you have to be very careful they call it it's called the overage rule where there's like five percent leeway Mm. Bear that yeah. in mind. Don't be afraid to ask the manufacturer and push back and say, ah, based on my roll of fabric and my order quantities, what's going to be the overage on this potentially? So they might say, actually, you'll end up with five extra T-shirts or three extra skirts or than you thought. Well, then say to him or her, well, actually, do I need to go for a bigger roll? Do I need to go for a wider roll, narrower roll? Can you recommend a substitute? So that's something else people don't quite realise when they start off working manufacturers, these little quirks to how they work. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Yeah, I would say if you are buying your fabric 
and you don't want them to use all of it, I just get them to hold on to it. I think if it's particularly a new style that you haven't tried, it's better just to get your minimums done. And then if for some reason it doesn't quite work, you can use that fabric for another style, like put it into your best-selling shape rather than getting stuck stuck with dead stock as such. Yeah. But just going back to when you're speaking to suppliers, from experience and just you know working in the industry, I always find a lot of manufacturers are very receptive if they build a relationship with you. I still am in contact with quite a few of my manufacturers manufacturers because I spent so much time with them but just as a sense in a business sense even that if they feel that they really understand what your brand is about and they can support you and they can see how you're going to grow they will actually feel quite excited about working with you I find some brands are very cautious because they feel that well this manufacturer is going to be working with lots of people I want to keep this like secret I don't want people to see my designs I don't want to share my designs with other brands a good manufacturer will not do that they will respect you and they will respect all their other brands if you find a manufacturer is like oh yeah and so and so is doing this this season and so then you know that they're probably going to do that with your product but I've found that most most suppliers are very careful and considerate with what they're doing you can sign things like NDAs if that makes you feel more comfortable but I think just really trust your gut and a good point is to make sure your designs are signed and they've got your brand logo on them just you know just to protect your designs but I feel like if you say to the manufacturer this is my plan I'm going to be doing a women's tailored collection I want to use sustainable fabrics these are the shapes I have in mind I'm going to aim to get into two wholesalers I want to go online they'll go okay this person's really thought it through they may even suggest things to you they might say to you look you could use this fabric I know you wanted this but maybe try this we found it works really well manufacturers they are the experts. I'd say most of my techn- technical knowledge has come from what's speaking and going to manufacturers, seeing things being made. I've learned probably majority of my technical knowledge from that. So keep them on side, learn from them. You can learn so much. And a lot of those guys, mostly men, let's be honest, it's a family business. So it's not just they just woke up one day and said, oh, I think I'll be a manufacturer. They've had that business in the family for two or three generations. There's a wealth of knowledge there and also a wealth mm. of networks that these people have. Because they've had this family tradition in their manufacturing they have a tradition of they they don't want to cut their cut off their nose to spite their face they get the concept of longevity so they don't want to just have a person work with them for one season they would like to have mm. you for multiple seasons if you end up within your own network having good people that you meet and you introduce them to your manufacturer they'll be delighted with that as well so it's bearing in mind they it's 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 a sort of industry where they don't want to just have a one-time order they would like to have several people stay with them for a long time because that gives them the stability to know that they can pay their staff on a regular basis because you have to remember they have to employ people and if you don't have a constant stream of good customers it makes it very precarious to hold on to staff and treat your staff well I know there's a manufacturer I've worked with here in the UK in knitwear lovely chap and he's been kind of hesitant to take on full-time staff because there were so many ebbs and flows now he's been able to take on a couple of his contractors as full-time staff which is great but he does need to know he has to have a certain amount of orders coming in every month to justify their salaries and he has to watch his cash flow because of that and it is just a lot tougher and when he does get a lot of time wasters especially young graduates and they go can we do our sampling great and then they rush off to china to get it all made and it's a bit he's a bit heartbroken going oh i really i really wanted to work with them and we could have worked on price but they didn't even give me a chance to work on price with them and they may find that actually they're not going to get as good a service plus i am in london i'm in north london they can literally collect their goods two days after it's made they come down do quality check whenever they want they can use us for social media content come down and actually show your product being made which is great content for a social 
social media platforms. And I think that's one of those things. And coming with the whole looking at manufacturing, talking about being prepared, once you actually place the order, what should people be thinking about with their manufacturer? So in terms of placing the order, so I'd say there's a lot of questions that need to be asked up front before you even decide to place your order. I mean, generally, I would always ask my manufacturer for a critical path. I need to know key dates of when I need to get back to them for certain things and they need to get back to me. So be clear, you want a specific colour, you want a specific Pantone dyed, you want to approve that colour before it even goes to production. You'd want your first sample made, you want it fitted. There's a lot of, I find, I don't know if you do, that's a lot of startups, they're like, oh yeah, they're going to go into production. Have you actually seen a final garment that you're happy with? They're like, oh yeah, but they said it will be fine. They're just going to tweak that. Have <laughs> it stuck in the washing machine is my favourite one. <laughs> yeah, you have to be so careful. And yeah, technical information in terms of colour fasteners. You know, you want your customers come back. It has to wash well and you don't want it to have faded. The technical side of things are really important. And again, a good manufacturer will support you with that, particularly as an independent brand. You know, they're happy for you to have a fit model turn up to their studio or their to fit the garment on so you can make sure you're happy with it. Obviously, small tweaks you can do for production, but if the thing's really fitting badly, <laughs> make sure it's right before you go to production. But I would just make sure that you've got the colour that you want, the fit that you want. You've told your manufacturer the quantity. They have all the trims and fabric. Also, another point that is so important that I've had issues with when I've worked for startups in particular is packaging's never considered as an important part of the whole process. You need to make sure you have your back neck labels, your care wash labels, even your swing tags ready before you go to production because this is all added on as part of the production basis. And when I'm putting my product in first sampling even, I'm thinking, what packaging do I need? My design team are actually specking up the labels to go on the back of a dress. It's so important that you get that done because actually that's something that's not really considered and then it, there's a bit of a panic at the end of it. Like, oh God, but I was going to sew them in after. No, sometimes you no. can't sew them in after. <laughs> and there's even the positioning of where the label has to go is very important for manufacturer yeah. because if you're doing a dress that's going to be off the shoulder, you don't want the label flapping around at the back of your dress and having no. random strangers tapping you. Oi, you've got your label out. <laughs> And I'm one of those girls who will tell you that your label's out, but maybe thinking about having the label on the side seam, which I think is far more practical, um, and making sure that the fabric is such that it doesn't pop out and make a kind of an unsightly seam line either. So being strategic mm. about where you're, and that's why you'll see some t-shirt manufacturers don't have the care label anymore. They'll actually print onto the back of the t-shirt, the care yeah. instructions, yeah. or just the basic stuff like sizing. So you may find with your t-shirts, what you can do is print on the back a, a basic, where it's made, sizing, some other bits and pieces, and then have a smaller label for your care instructions it does and it'll even and actually your label can say a lot of great brands i think it's at the frankie shop their labels are really cheap looking they look like they're they say made in korea and you're kind of going hold on i thought it was made in south korea i know it's north korea what's going on people do check the labels believe it or not and i know that from selling secondhand clothes a lot of people want to see pictures of the care labels they get really funny about it very important and packaging as well if you have items coming from certain countries they'll automatically place that item in a plastic bag for you but you may want to say well well, actually can I supply you with the potato starch bags instead so that they're compostable but again you need to tell the manufacturer before they th their team their quality control team start taking stuff off the, the production line and sticking into plastic bags or they may say well actually we can't do that because of which is I think is a reasonable suggestion it keeps things clean to put in a plastic mm -hmm. bag it's, it's a necessity but yeah have that chat about that packaging as well some people are using manufacturers to do fulfillment for them so yeah. sometimes you have to also be mindful of the actual boxes and the poly bags 
products and thinking about the sustainability of those things, but making sure the manufacturer has them to hand as well to do the fulfillment part. And that's the thing, even, even when you get to your sample, people forget about the grading process. So how do you then know you've done your classic size 10 or 8 sample size, but then what's the size 16 going to look like? And how different, once you go into plus sizes, will that design become? And so what happens is once you get to a size 16 to 18, the fit of the dress can really change. And yeah. so a good manufacturer will say, yeah, you're doing your grading. And for those who don't know what grading means, it's basically the, the, the art of taking the pattern and sizing it up smaller and larger than the sample size. And it's that thing of sometimes when people complain about some brands not being inclusive, sometimes a dress just won't or an item of clothing the fit could be quite troublesome for that design once you go above a certain clothing size a good manufacturer will have specific sort of grading rules so you know it doesn't always just mean that from a size 10 to a size 12 you add in two centimeters and that two centimeters keeps getting added per size there becomes a point that it's just either too much or it's not enough and a good manufacturer will know that i mean obviously once you get into sort of bigger brands and you can afford to have different size fit models i would fit on a size 10 sorry a size 12 a size 16 and sometimes a size 18 or 20 model to see and I'd have them all in a row fitting lingerie in particular because it's so millimeter crucial so we would fit on like five different bus sizes because if you change something by three mil it makes a massive difference in that product category so yeah a, a good manufacturer will support you with that in terms of the grading rules because you just you want your customers to keep coming back you don't want to put them off at the beginning because I mean I, I was in Zara changing rooms the other day and this girl came out and she was talking she was with her mum and she put these jeans on she goes mum they're a size 18 and I looked at her and I thought you look like a size 12 there's no way that she was an 18 like it's just crazy I mean everyone talks about Zara sizing (laughs) you know but I was just like how could it just be so wrong clearly she was clearly not a size 18 the poor girl that comes in who is a size 18 she's not going to be able to shop she'll be sized out yeah um which is a real shame but it just sort of highlights the attention attention to detail and the consistency yes Zara is a massive brand they get return customers because of their marketing their product whatever but it is a bugbear but imagine you as a startup business and your sizing is all over the place it'll really put off your customers so yeah, I, yeah. yeah. well people off Amber said to me years ago about the whole block thing so if you're manufacturing in Europe you're going to have more of a Germanic block which is basically people are a certain average height shoulders are a certain broad length and so there's certain we're male or female and we're based off a certain Caucasian body frame and then once you go down towards Spain Italy we tend to as Europeans be a little bit shorter a little bit narrower it's just the bi- biology of, 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 of our body shapes and people then use that when they're doing their pattern cutting and design maybe in the UK or in Ireland or even France Germany but then when they go to manufacturers in the Far East they forget their block is actually slightly smaller be mindful that you could have your sample done in three different countries and have three very different results yeah that's why it's important to get your technical packs and your grading done if you either with the manufacturer particularly if if they're in the UK but you know if you are thinking about going further afield sometimes it may be worth using a sampling house in the UK to do the grading and the fitting for you so you can see it firsthand here yes it is more expensive however later down the line in terms of mate doing your sampling you can actually save yourself money because you might need to do sort of three or four samples from say China whereas in the UK you you've done the process you're sending them all the detail they need you can even send them the patterns and all the grade rules everything and then it's just done and you know that you're going to get what you want I would say devil's in the detail that you be as specific as you can everything so there's no room for error and I always find a manufacturer who says ask you questions that is a good sign 
if someone goes off and just makes something for you with no questions asked, that's when I get nervous. <laughs> I always expect to have a bit of a, okay, so you've got all the technical packs now. Can we go through them with you? And they talk through it and they just double check all the detail. That's so important. I mean, we would go to China, Hong Kong, India, wherever we're getting product made and have those meetings face to face and be picking fabrics out, etc. But obviously you can't always do that. It costs a lot of money. It's not always effective in terms of the environment, etc. But we have Zoom now. You know, we have calls, you can do video calls, send them swatches of fabric, send them as much as you can, and then you're more likely to get what you want at the end of it. Yeah. And there's nothing stopping them having a local fit model who's coming into yes. us. As you say, doing a Zoom meeting, but coming back to the whole thing, making sure you have all the right questions and all the right details with the manufacturer, things can still go wrong, can't they, Sasha? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we had big teams supporting us. Like we had a quality assurance team. We had a design team, a buying team. We still have things go wrong because it's just human error. I mean, I think in the last podcast I did, I mentioned about a bikini top that came in too big and it wasn't selling. And then we tried it on and we're like, what happened? And it was an error on the manufacturer's part. The only way that we could get that money returned is because we measured it all up against our specs to say so it goes back to the whole thing of knowledge is power make sure you've got your detail there stuff does go wrong and you've got tight budgets and something comes in it doesn't fit that could literally ruin your brand basically so if you've got all your detail there and you you can say look well I sent you this spec it's all here there was an issue yeah so yeah. And I think I've noticed with some startup brands, they're very quick to say, oh, but the manufacturer will do direct delivery for me. And I'm always going, maybe for the first couple of collections, have the stock come to you first, check it for the sake of your peace of mind. Check it yourself, make sure it fits. And you might be one dress size. If you only friends and family who are different clothing, mm-hmm. sizes, men's wear, women's wear, get them to try it on, make sure it looks good, make sure that it feels comfortable. And then it may seem a bit onerous at the, fir- at the start, but actually there's something quite satisfying about sending your first order to your first customer. And you can do all the work to pop in or write a little note or do what you want to do. But actually I think as a business owner, it gives you a better appreciation appreciation for the services you have to outsource if you then know how long it takes to pack it how the tedium of make sure the tissue paper is nice and all the bits and pieces whether you decide to use a courier or royal mail or whatever uh, mail option you choose to have going to the post office or having them come to you all that kind of stuff gives you appreciation for if you need to hire someone to help you you then know what the job role is how you can specify that what have you but it just means that when it gets to the stage where the manufacturer says right do you want me now to add the service of direct shipping because you been through a few cycles with them you can trust quality that you have coming in is, is close enough so you might say actually yeah happy for you to do it but when they quote you a price for that fulfillment you might go ah that seems a bit steep when i know how much it costs me to do it myself so it's, it's something to help you with in terms of costing as well mm-hmm. you think about but do you have any kind of other good examples of disasters that happened and how you got around it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there was another one. It was a beautiful kaftan that we had made in India. And I'm not even sure at what point how it managed to go wrong, but it was like a sort of turquoise um, sort of snake print. And we had like this beautiful embellishment on the neckline that was meant to be sort of silvers. And I know that we specifically said, because my design team designed the embellishment and put the colours and show examples of the beadwork 
they decided that they were going to do it all bronze. And only we used to ask for gold seals, which a gold seal is effectively the production, first off the production run. Obviously, we would be buying thousands of units, so it takes time for it to be made. So often they take the first couple off production and send it to us. We'll get it before the whole run's done. So we checked, we got got it in. I was like, oh my God, what have you done? <laughs> I spoke to the manufacturer and they're like, we think it looks nice then. I was like, but why, why have you done it a completely different colour? Yeah. So I didn't want to hold up the whole range because it had a bikini, sarong, bag, yeah. and the caftans always sell really well. So we said to them, look, I'll take a, the first 500, I'll put it in store, see how it sells. And I want a, I want a reduction in costs, like I yeah. want a um, cost reduction. I think we got like 20% off the price and um, but again because we had the detail we could negotiate that with them thankfully it came in and it was actually a bestseller so it wasn't <laughs> a complete disaster but it just shows you know you just think how could you get it wrong but they did somewhere along the line it was lost in translation sometimes no matter how dedicated you are to being as accurate as possible still things can go wrong so it just shows that it's best that you're always as accurate as possible then you've got a leg to stand on if something does go wrong I think sometimes you feel like oh yeah I know the manufacturer I trust them yeah but there's a whole team of people people change behind the scenes so it's best just to have a level of consistency with the way that you're working and with the way that I work I've learned it the corporate way you know I've worked for big corporate companies who have spent years finessing documents and sheets and how to you know ways of working and it sounds a bit like oh you know so much detail but it it will make your life easier and it will make the manufacturer's life easier so even if you have a specific order sheet that you you set up I'm sure you could find one online which has all the details has your quantities has your breakdown by size has your packaging information has the hanger you want to use the bag that you want to use send it to them be specific and always use that same document so they recognize it as your order form so there's lots of you can do and actually it'll make your life easier because you've got consistency you go okay today I'm going to place my order I've got my order sheet do I have my packaging info do I have my how am I going to hang it do I know what swig tag I'm going to use it's a checklist for you as well yeah. Also, when you are engaging with the manufacturer, make sure getting all the detail right will be very clear about deposits. So that's the other thing. People often think, oh, I better pay everything up front. Don't be afraid to negotiate a deposit first. See what you can do in terms of payment terms, because if you're a part of a supply chain where you have managed with your first collection to sell that into retail, which is very, very rare, let's be facing it. It's more likely you're going to be selling it through your own website. But you have to think about, well, my cash flow is if I give them X amount up front and then it could take ages for the retailer to pay me back. And even if you're using an agent, it can be quite messy. But what do you tend to find, Sash, is, is the rule of thumb for deposits? I mean, obviously, with the corporate world, it was completely different because our payment terms were like 30, 60, sometimes 90 days. But I would say as a rule of thumb, it's generally 50% up front and then 50% upon um, delivery. But be aware aware that sometimes it's up until it gets to the port and then it becomes your responsibility so consider that in mind that you might be responsible for the actual shipping and you need to organize that again a good manufacturer will support you with that make sure you've also got things like insurance in place for that journey if you're um, you know shipping from abroad that your stock is protected because sometimes as soon as it leaves a manufacturer it is your responsibility but I would say as a rule of thumb generally it's 50% and again as you mentioned very wisely there about insurance because people just don't realize you know because it's not the manufacturer's fault if the ship sinks or the airplane <laughs> these things sadly very, do happen yeah or yeah. a very excitable warehouse member of staff wheels their little truck into your packaging it happens yeah. <laughs> but the other thing i was going to say with <laughs> manufacturing is if you are going to go down the route 
it's, it's something that you mentioned earlier on and sometimes people think oh I'm spending so much money on sampling what you'll notice with kind of the more classic brands they're bringing the same thing out but every year in a different color and if you really take your time to get the sampling right it means you have an amazing template to monetize that for different seasons with either florals print all these different variations and that's why getting that sizing is actually worth your while long term yes, I know some people yes, often confuse the, the costing of sampling with the costing of how to work their sales price and that's a, a different day's po- podcast but I think that's important to bear that in mind of always keep ahead what good brands do they don't just do brand new dresses every season or brand new trousers every season they'll kind of go right here's our classic fit Max Mar are famous for doing this they have the same coats they have the same trousers same skirts and what'll happen is I think with them with trousers they purposely make them extra long and they're not hemmed it's assumed if you're able to afford a pair of Max Mar trousers you can afford to get the tailor to do it perfect yeah um, no that's an absolutely that's a spot on point and actually when we were talking about um, sizing I was thinking about that in industry I would have a block library so I'd have a a sample block library of different say bikini tops so I'd have my best-selling underwire top my best-selling triangle top my best-selling strapless top same with bikini bottoms and there'll be a starting reference point for any collection I was having going to do for for further seasons and I know those shapes sold I know those shapes fitted really well because we spent sometimes a year fitting um, a bikini top or a bra because it's quite technical but the same goes for dresses I had certain blocks that I knew work yes I might change the strap to be a thicker strap or a thinner strap but it had a starting point so all that money you're investing as you said at the sampling process is never wasted and actually you know this is slightly going off topic of manufacturing but you should always be playing on your best sellers anyway so if you've got a best-selling dress why completely reinvent the wheel as you say change the print change the color change the trim change the buttons utilize it your customer will come in and go oh i love that dress and I have something similar, but I might as well buy this one because it's, you know, a different color and a different sleeve. And they feel like it's new, but it's not really. Um, they'll feel comfortable with the fit. Yeah, well, exactly. there's a familiarity too. Uh, I know that dress fits me well. Even for a man's pair of trousers, there is a, something about a certain style of trouser or even a certain type of blazer or, or shirt. I mean, collar widths are so important. So you can't just say, well, every man is a medium. Well, that's kind of nonsense because you have men who are stockier because they're either doing sports or weight training and their necks are going to be just big. Bigger. Some are just bigger because of, of, of their, their statue. So if you're a six foot man, it's going to be very different to a five foot five man in terms of his neck width. And so it's very important to think about those sizings as well and, and, and offering a range of collar sizes. You may find that some men, it's not as common as it used to be. And I think it's a bit of a shame, but when designers really think about doing interesting things with collars and widths and thickness, men actually do appreciate that. But so, but you may find that there's a certain type of classic collar style that you do for your brand that sets you apart from everyone else. And people go, ah, that's a, yeah, or a yeah. certain where you place a logo it's like the, the Ben Sherman shirts years ago it's the way the logo was placed and men loved um, but it's those little little design details that you really should think about from the get-go I think even brands like Totem they put their logo embroidered on t-shirts down the bottom of the hemline so it's very mm-hmm. discreet but it's something that people just know I'm wearing a more expensive t-shirt quiet it's people talk about quiet luxury but that's the sort of stuff that's happening yeah, is yeah. You know, thinking about all those little design details and having that chat with the manufacturer and seeing what and cost-effective ways of adding those details 
details. And it might be something you do yourself when it comes, when you do get your deliveries, you might screen print something on the inside, be anything really. So speech manufacturers, they might find, they might have some ingenious way of doing things that you would not have expected to. Well, even this barcoding. Yeah, it's not, I'm always going to say the abbreviation wrong, but basically the barcoding, you get the chips. So you may decide you want to put a chip in your t-shirt for whatever reason or your garment as a, especially if you're doing high-end luxury, it might be a way for Mm -hmm. you to do um, counterfeit control if you have a certain type of print or whatever else you want to protect. But also it could be a gimmick to that when people get a garment, they can hover over a QR code and actually all the product information is there for them on the QR code instead of having to have all the labels. Yeah. And it's just other things to think about, the technologies that we may see coming in in the future. So is there anything else in manufacturing you think we need to? Um, there was one other point actually when you're talking about RFCs. If you do decide to go down the wholesale route and also if, particularly if you're going to be working with large retailers, they sometimes have specifics in place in terms of what you need to include in your in your um, care labels they'll want a specific uh, skew information on the swing tags so just yeah. be mindful of that and if you do have an order make sure those questions are asked often the larger manufacturers will give you that information usually a massive ream of reading on your part but um you know it's just something to consider and often these things can end up being quite costly be careful because sometimes they want a specific box they want a certain number of products to go into that box and you might not factor that into your costings so just if you are down that road of working with larger retailers no brilliant and i think it's one of those things where it's such a large topic it could be very hard without knowing people's anecdotes or, or or their own situation so i know we have been shouting out on social media people do want to send us specific questions do we don't want to be answering individual questions because that's not very democratic we'd rather share that information with as many people as possible so if we are getting good questions we will then cover that in future podcasts or even we might do a blog, blog post or something where we'll kind of answer some of those questions but do feel free to send those through to us yeah i think we've gone into a lot of detail of how to approach a manufacturer hopefully it's useful just to go back to the first point of how to actually find a manufacturer just be patient and take your time like it, it is not an overnight thing even for you know large brands that i've worked for it still takes time and don't be put off if your first round of samples come in looking like a dog's dinner because <laughs> they just do sometimes and it's just you do have to don't be afraid to go back to the drawing board i would say don't sacrifice your brand for the sake of thinking i need to work to this deadline i need to work with this manufacturer it doesn't matter if it doesn't it's not quite right it's so important to get get the right manufacturer for you so build that into your timelines when you're first setting up your brand give yourself enough breathing room to do that research for sure and it's even something we kind of touched on the first podcast was around that whole thing of it doesn't matter if you launch today or in a year's time what you will launch with will be your tone of voice of your brand for that point in time and so you may mm. go to sound certain colors based on what you think the market wants today but by the time you finish sampling you may switch the color which is not going to have a detrimental impact to the production run because you've already done all the sizing and all that kind of good stuff it's just literally a change of color but you may also find that by shopping around a bit and taking your time you as a brand helped develop your brand identity a bit better because you're actually going yeah. why am i doing this i, mean, I walked past a shop there was an islington recently and all they sell is black clothes and i just thought you know what that's brilliant only <laughs> because you may find well actually my aesthetic is going to be neutrals or my aesthetic will only be fluorescent colors and that's absolutely fine and no matter when you launch if that's your brand aesthetic well then that's fine and i think people have this fear of if i don't launch now i'll never make it or i'm going to lose that competition remember you are your own competition no one else can Mm. be you so trying too hard to beat other people is kind of you would hope you are coming up with a brand with a design aesthetic that is different anyway that is unique that is artistic there's some inspiration 
admiration to it. It's not just a Lego on a t-shirt. There's something I would say from even if you're starting with a gem of an idea of a brand, I would need to give yourself a good year and a half to two years. And unless you have ferociously rich people around you, so even the likes of Tory Burch and Tamara Mellon, who had hedge fund manager husbands, who gave them huge sums of money, they started to develop for quite a bit of time before they emerged on the scene. Um, and often you'll see a brand go, oh, where's that come from? That was probably two to three years in the making mm. or what you see today is what you yeah. see I mean, unless you're doing bespoke so steady. yeah it's a give yourself time that's the one thing i would say to people is give yourself plenty of time and, and stop thinking that you need to launch a collection in six months time it rarely happens and i think most manufacturers will also go whoa 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 i would love to work with you but actually i have three production runs you will slot in in week 15 of this year and just i can't do it any earlier for you so you may back to this into your critical path you may have gone through all the sampling and, and the manufacturer will have a certain amount of resources for that but when it comes to actual production he will then have to find resources available on his his or hers shop floor when the time comes and you may find that other people work whatever their timelines are and so through no fault of anyone if you really like the manufacturer you're going to wait the extra two to three weeks to get it made by a person you trust yeah um, definitely I think one thing that just i know it's probably less likely to happen now what you know or out of covid but don't be afraid to as part of your strategic plan even if you meet with the manufacturer that you kind of weren't 100 percent you decide not to go with them still keep the relationship because you don't know if you may need to use them in future runs you don't know if there is an economic crisis somewhere else or there's a natural disaster or war you don't know what's going to happen you can't plan for everything that's a so have have those people in the background because what may happen is and i've seen this with some bigger brands especially uk brands they will have a roster of three or four people they work with obviously as we mentioned in the first podcast, you will find certain manufacturers just better at certain types of article clothing. Stick to what they're good at. But what you may find is that sometimes it makes sense, especially as you grow globally. So we're talking here at the moment about startup, but you might be three, four years down the line where you start having quite a big market in America. It might be as cost effective for you to find a US manufacturer to make your stuff that's selling in the US, so for South America, even for Australia. So you may need to have partners in different regions purely because your brand has grown in that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I would just with that point of keeping people people there just in case. I mean, I've had product that I've made and I've I've had sampling done and I'm like, oh, it's a bit too relaxed. It's even though it's beachy, it's a bit too beachy. It's a bit too young, casual. And actually, later on down the line, I did want to develop something that was that look, and I was like, oh yeah, could you use that manufacturer? Yeah. So your brand, you know, your brand brand could slightly change, and you think, oh, I might actually. You've gone from autumn, winter to spring, summer, and you think actually for spring, summer, I just want to do a few more relaxed pieces in linen oh actually that manufacturer is quite good at that I don't want to do as many structured pieces I can shift some pieces into this this manufacturer because that suits that kind of look that I'm going for so it's really good to have um, a few manufacturers in the in the background also their production might have been filled up and you think oh god where am I going to make my make my good storming year and you need to quickly get back into some stock you you can then try and get it made elsewhere yeah so important and that comes back to your earlier point about just having that kind of almost like a good filing system whether it's electronic or paper-based whatever works for you where you have a folder where you could have a, a folder set up on your desktop or online where it's sample some of the manufacturers and just keeping a log of people you've worked with so that if you do decide oh I wouldn't mind looking into something else tapping into that that list of people or, or looking at the the information you had from the past and I know that's your tech hand to be able to quickly fire it out yeah, to somebody else exactly well. I think people often get a bit oh but I'm not very organized or you don't have to be brilliant to be organized you can set up tools and methods of 
working that work for you. So whether it is, if you're better with paper, go with paper. If you need to print things off and file them in binders and put little sticky notes on it, do it. But you'll develop your way of working as well when you create a business. And even if you've been around for a few years and you're listening to us going, oh, they're talking about startups, a lot of the same principles are still there. You're still going to have to think about when you scale up, having to work with multiple people, or you may have a situation where your manufacturer is retiring, the family business has been sold, and it's just not the same anymore. You're not getting that same personal feeling that you don't like working with them and actually the relationship isn't great so you have to move someone else so the same principles apply for sourcing a new supplier but yeah you will build up these skill sets as, as you mature in your business and, and how it works best for you and it also then triggers well do I need to hire a little helper do I need someone to come in and help me one two days a week with office admin that kind of thing but if you're going to run a business you do have to have a certain amount of organizational skills let's try and we'll, we'll try it attempt of winding up the podcast sorry yeah just <laughs> one last last point just I'd say all brands you are there to make money if yeah. you the more organized you are and the more detail you've got there at hand to make you effective in terms of your time also reducing the chance of errors the least chance you've got of losing money effectively because if your sample's not right that's money down the drain if you bring in production that's not right that's money down the drain you want to minimize losing your money basically and little things you do can actually help with that yeah with that if we're we're good to wind it up thank you everyone for your time again today as we mentioned if you do want to send us in some questions and some topics you'd like to discuss ask us anything do you send them through our our relative chat Channels. So without further ado, many thanks for everyone for today. Have a wonderful week, year, wherever you are. So it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye now. Thank you everyone for your time again today. As we mentioned, if you do want to send us in some questions and some topics you'd like to discuss, ask us anything. Do you send them through our, our relative channels? Uh, so without further ado, many thanks for everyone for today. Have a wonderful week, year, month, wherever you are. And I'll say goodbye from me, Daryl, and goodbye from Sasha. Goodbye. <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to do another one where you say it's a goodbye from always editing if need be? So it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye now.